Well, good evening, church. Good to see you virtually out on this Sunday evening. I hope you had a great Easter Sunday. I know it's not what we wanted, uh, being not together because of this virus issue, but uh, we can praise God for the opportunity to be together in a virtual setting. And we look forward to the day where we can come back together as a, as a united church, uh, together worshiping God. And I hope that's your prayer as we look forward uh, to what God has for us even tonight. Will you please open your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look, be looking at verses 25 through 34. Very familiar passage of Scripture to all of us, but I want us to consider it in light of what our context is of what's going on. And I hope that it will be a blessing to you tonight. Let me read the passage of Scripture for us and uh, have a word of prayer before we begin. The Bible says, uh, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of this field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we ask tonight as we meet together, you just calm our hearts. We, we have come through a busy week and we are uh, desperate in need of you. And I pray tonight as we look at your word for a few minutes that you would just help us to put away those distractions and help us to look at the truth of your word and let it impact our lives. Help me to hide behind the cross, help this to be your words, not mine so that we may leave our meeting tonight, change just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That's our goal. We ask all these things in His name and pray. Amen. We need to talk about the context surrounding these verses as we begin, because it's very important as we look at what's going on here. And obviously, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who are familiar, Jesus is, is preaching and teaching to His disciples. He's informing them on how kingdom living is to be done. The whole portion of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7 is on kingdom living. How do kingdom citizens live here on earth? And as the passage continues, as he's talked about the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, earlier in chapter 6, as he's talked about fasting and He's now getting into laying up treasures in heaven, very familiar verses. Verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be demoted to the one and, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
And on the hinge of that discussion of serving two masters, Jesus jumps into this discussion of, uh, as perhaps the subtitle in your Bible says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And my challenge for you tonight is, as I believe Jesus lays it out for us, is to confidently trust in God. Confidently trust in God. And I want to look at five truths from this passage that will help us do that. Especially in the light of the time that we're in, that you and I need to confidently trust in God. The first one comes from verse 25. And I sim simply put it this, there is no need to worry. There is no need to worry. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? As we'll see here in all these different points, are based upon commandments. And Jesus commands us here in this passage to not worry. And I know that's a really easy thing to say and a hard thing to do. But Jesus points out clearly this is not an option. If you and I, if there's been a time in life where we confessed we were sinners, there was no way we were getting to God apart from Jesus Christ. We asked Him to forgive us of our sin and became part of His kingdom. We also took on the commandment of not worrying. We as kingdom dwellers do not worry. And the reason, quite simply, is this, is that it is rooted in loyalty to God. It's not just a command to not worry, it's pointing us to another reality, and the reality is that there is a loyalty that we have to God. Backing up, jumping back to verse 24, talking about loving God or loving money. If kingdom dwellers love God, then God will take care of their needs. And that's why Jesus says, I tell you why, I say to you, do not be anxious. It's interesting, the word anxious here in this passage, as we discuss it, has the idea of to be overly concerned. And it is an active command, meaning that it is ongoing attitude. This isn't just something we do once in a while. This isn't just something that we do part of the time. No, this is a consistent attitude that we have. We, we do not worry day in and day out. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm talking to people who are concerned with life, with needs, with family, with this current environment. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, that Jesus wants us to not worry. And are we having that attitude tonight? As we think about all that is going around us, are we having the attitude that says, I will not worry? And that's a challenge to me, as a guy who's, who, who's got so many things on his mind, family and job and, and the coronavirus, as we all are thinking about that. I have to be looking at the scriptures and being realized, I must choose not to worry because Jesus tells me not to. And Jesus says at the end of the, the verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Life's necessities must not occupy our minds. We all are concerned about what we're going to eat. We all are concerned about what we're going to drink. Uh, how we're going to clothe ourselves. They're just basic human necessities. And, and for his audience back at this time, Jesus is talking to people who were really concerned about that. I mean, they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from at times. They didn't know where they were going to sleep at times. They didn't know if they were going to have enough finances to provide for themselves and their families. We don't really experience that too much, but even 
in our day, there are those worries, those, there are those concerns, and Jesus says, do not be concerned about those things. Again, easy to say, but hard to do. And Jesus puts this statement in a rhetorical question because he wants us to think. And he wants us to think that the, the fact that life is more important than necessities. So he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer is yes. Life is more than those things. Life is more defined than just what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. And we need to think in those terms. We need to think in those ways. So when your tendency and my tendency is to worry about things that we're going to, to meet our needs, our mindset should be to the point that that is not what occupies our minds. Because guess what? Life is more than just those things. So our question, my question to you as we think about this point is even though our tendency to worry overshadows the most important things of life, do we view this command as an option or a truth to obey? And I'm speaking to myself. Do I look at this option of Jesus, this command, do not worry, am I seen as, okay, uh, I will consider that or I will do it? And brothers and sisters, are we doing this in a time where worry is abounding in our culture, in our time? Are we making the conscientious choice not to worry? So if we look at verse 25, the first truth that we consider is there is no need to worry. If we're going to confidently trust in God, there is no need to worry. The second truth I would urge us to consider is that God provides. Verses 26 through 30, Jesus gives us three examples to look at. You've got to love the way Jesus is speaking here. He's talking about specific examples that you and I can identify with to help us to understand that God does provide. And the first example that he uses is the birds of the air. Okay? Uh, the birds of the air. And he points uh, to their uh, provision by God. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And we, we, can, we can go outside as we're still allowed to. Uh, go outside and look. Look at the trees that, around your, your yard and, and around the neighborhood that you live in. And you will see all the birds of the air, uh, air just kind of doing their thing. Just wafting around and flying around having a good time. You notice they don't, they don't work. They don't punch a time clock and say, you know, fly for eight hours and do birdly things for eight hours and then go home, okay? No, they don't do that. Why? Because God is providing for them. They have an innate sense of duty in their minds to do the things that they do. And whether it be they are looking for seeds, whether it be they're looking for worms, such as the robin does, God provides for them. So if God can provide for small birds, and Jesus is using them, the birds in his, his culture, in his day, were very small, not very big. But if God can provide for small, harmless birds, is he not more, than, more able than able to take care of us, his children? And that's the point of the end of verse 26. Are you of not more value than they? The word value has the idea of to be worth more or be superior to. 
And so the birds don't work, but their needs are met. God makes sure of that. So if God can meet the needs of small birds, and we as human beings, as his, as his children, have more value than they, can't God meet our needs as well? And so, you know, this is a challenge to me. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. God can take care of small birds, even more than able to take care of me. But how often times do I limit God to what he can do? I say, God, there's no way you can take care of this need. It's just too big. It's just, yeah, I can't take care of it, God, I'm sure you can't. And God sits, perhaps sits on his throne and says, look at the birds. I take care of them. Can I take care of you? The first example shows that God can take care of us because he takes care of the birds of the air. Second example that Jesus used from verse 27 has the idea of, of something that perhaps some of us struggle with. Uh, in different translations, uh, it, it, it reads, uh, and, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life, or another way of saying it, can add an inch to his height. It, whatever is, either translation works there. But the point is that worry does not bring any results. Perhaps some of you wish you had more hair. Now, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at, okay? It's, it's just want to put that out for, there for you. Okay, but some of you might be losing your hair, and, and you might want you, that might be something that concerns you, and you're like, oh man, I wish I had more hair. You know, worrying's not going to bring your hair back, right? It's just not going to happen. Or maybe you're worrying about your health, and man, I, I, I wish I could just have a few more years. I got so many things I want to do, and I've got this bad diagnosis, and, and God, would you give me a few more? You know, I just got to figure out how I can get a few more years. Well, that's not going to bring you any results. And Jesus says, so if, if you cannot add, and the word add here has the idea of to have ability or power to do something. So if you have no ability to add to your height, to add to your span of life, why worry about it? And we can broaden that out to, okay, so if I worry about this need or that need, and it's not coming the results aren't coming, why worry about it? It's not going to bring results. If anything, it brings degradation to you. It brings defeat. It brings fear. So worry doesn't bring results. The last illustration that Jesus uses is the idea of flowers and grass. Notice in verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? So he moves into the clothing realm. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory, was, arrayed, was not arrayed like one of these. Flowers and grass have purpose in life. Okay? But, and God sees them through it to the end. Verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So flowers and grass, we see them every day. We're starting to see them now with spring here. And Jesus says, look at them. Consider them. They don't work. They don't put in effort to make themselves grow. But guess what? They grow. They prosper. They flourish. 
And, 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 and Jesus makes an astounding statement. He says, Solomon, the wisest, richest man who ever lived in the nation of Israel and in the world, even him in all his glory, in all his majesty, could not compare to the, the flowers of the field. This probably blew their minds. I mean, Jews, and still today, hold high regard for Solomon. And to have Jesus say that flowers, mere petals on the field, were of more glory than Solomon just blew their minds. But they flourish. And God sees them flourish, and God also sees them at their end. That's the idea of the, the, the phrase, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. God knows their beginning, God knows their end, and God is through with them through it all. And so if God is with the grass, the flowers of the field that have just temporary nature, temporary life, cannot God take care of you? And in this kind of sense, cannot God clothe you, provide clothing for you? The word clothe here is active, meaning it is something that God is personally involved in. Do you really think about that? God is personally involved in your life, personally taking care of you. Reminds me of Genesis twenty-two fourteen, 14, when, when we have the story of Abraham and Isaac, and, and Abraham goes to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And we know the story. He's going to offer him, and at the last moment, God provides a ram. And what does Abraham do? Abraham gives a, a new uh, facet of God to uh, the world, and that Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Do we view God that way? That God will provide? And so my question to you as we consider this point, if God can take care of the smallest details of his creation, cannot he be concerned with our frail life? James 4, 14. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a while and vanishes away. If God can take care of fragile grass, cannot he take care of of our fragile life? And the answer is yes, and that he provides. So we've looked at two truths already. If we are going to confidently trust God, first truth, no need to worry. Second truth, God provides. Third truth I want us to consider is from verses 31 to 32. Simply put, as God knows. God knows. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus, again, shifts back to this idea of being in anxiety. And the picture here is people huddled around just asking themselves this question, What, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to... You know, kind of figuring out how things are going to be provided for. And they're, they're so anxious and they're so concerned, they're so in worry that they verbalize their concern. You ever done that? You ever just kind of sat by yourself and you're thinking about something and all of a sudden it comes out verbally? And sometimes it's an embarrassment because there are other people around you listening to what you have to say. But the truth is, as we consider verse 31, is that God is so much in control there is no need to verbalize the desires that promote anxiety. 
These are all natural desires. Jesus does not say these are bad things. I want you to understand that. He does not say these are bad things. What he does say is that dwelling on them and verbalizing them to the point of being anxious is not helpful. It is wrong. And to comfort our hearts, he, he goes to verse 32 and he shows us that pagans do this too. Right? This is a common human thread. The Gentiles, that's the word Gentiles is to simply put pagans, unbelievers, seek after all these things. They need the same things you and I do. They need the food, the clothing. The unbeliever needs the, the protection, the, the sustenance, the provision that we do. We, we, we're all in the same boat in that, in that regard. But there's a difference here. And I want us to see it. The difference is they don't have God on their side. You ever stop and think about that? You know, in our current culture and situation, we are, are surrounded by fear and doubt with the coronavirus and how it's impacted our state, our country, and our world. And if you turn on the news and, and newspapers, and I wouldn't and read newspapers, which I wouldn't recommend right now, you will see a lot of worry, a lot of concern. Well, how, how is this going to work out? How are we going to provide for this need or this need? How is unemployment going to look like? How are we going to meet those needs? And what you see are a lot of pagans, unbelievers, struggling to figure things out and are rightfully worried because, guess what, they don't have God on their side. And are you thankful tonight that God is on your side? That He is the one who intimately knows your very life? We can hearken back to the Psalms when David talks about Psalm 139, I believe it is, how you, you wove me in the innermost parts of my being. God knows us intimately. He knows every part of who we are. And we can rest in that reality. Because what, guess what? The unbelievers don't have that. Your neighbor down the street who doesn't know Christ, who lives a worldly lifestyle, or maybe your, your church-going friend who thinks that you know, going to church pleases God, and, and that's good enough for them. They don't have the God that you have. And so they are left to their own devices, their own ways of worrying to, to uh, how to provide for themselves and for their families. And so we have a Heavenly Father, it says at the end of verse 32, who intimately knows every, the needs of every one of his children. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows. God knows what you need. The word know here points to a personal knowledge of the subject. In this case, God personally knows what you need. And do we rest in that reality? Do we rest in that truth that God intimately knows each one of our needs? You notice I said needs, not wants. We all have wants in this room tonight. We all have things that we desire, and that's good. But what we need truly and in our hearts is God providing for those needs. So differentiating, I'm talking about needs, not once. And God knows the intimate needs of our hearts. And brothers and sisters, that is a great comfort to know that God knows. And God is so personally involved with our lives. So, so my question in this point is, why do we doubt Him? And that's to me. I, I consistently cause 
that question come to mind, why do I doubt God? And so God is saying to me, David, can't you trust me? Can't you trust me with your parenting? Can't you trust me with your future? And I have to reply that, God, I, I'm sorry that I doubt you. And yes, I do trust you. Help me to believe. As it says, as, as the, the man says in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God knows our intimate needs. So we've considered the command to not worry. We've also looked at how God provides. We've looked at the third truth, God knows. Fourth truth I see from this passage is that we need to, we must seek Him. Or literally seek Him. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We, we quoted this verse, we know this verse inside and out. And what Jesus is doing by using that simple contrasting conjunction, but... He's asking us to take a different perspective. And our concern is not to be on the needs of our lives as relevant as they are. Your health is a need. Your provision for your family is a need. Your provision for your finances. They're, they're, they're needs. They're things that we desperately need to function. But our concern is not to be on them. It is to be on God and His kingdom and living like kingdom dwellers. Seek first. Okay. The word seek there has the idea of intentionality behind it. Again, a command. We are to pursue after God's kingdom and the things of His kingdom. And we're to do it first. Prioritize. God's kingdom and His righteousness, that comes first. Knowing God, trusting God, living like God in our world, that comes first. Not our needs. Not our family, not our desires, not our wishes. God and His kingdom come first. And do we live like that? As our concern on seeking Him and His kingdom. And I have to be honest with myself to say that sometimes that's not the case. I'm concerned with David and His kingdom. And not God and his kingdom. I heard a, I heard a pastor, and I, I probably have used this before, and if I have, I apologize. I heard a pastor say this about the Lord's Prayer back earlier in this chapter, when it says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done. I heard him say this, and it stuck with me all these years. Lord, your kingdom, not mine. And that has, this is such a right perspective. It is God's kingdom that we need to be concerned with and His righteousness, the way He wants us to live. That is to be our concern, our worry, if you will. That is to be our priority. And guess what? When we get that right, when we pursue God and His kingdom and His righteousness, everything else falls in line. And all of these things will be added unto you. All of the things that you worry about, Jesus says, when you get my Father's kingdom and His righteousness in line, that's your pursuit, that's your concern, that's your desire. Everything else you desire, everything else you need, food, clothing, what to drink, that comes right in line. God provides that. 
the word added, will be added, points to, the, the way it's constructed points to the reality that God is the one who meets the believer's needs, not the believer. So, so it's not seek God first and then everything else will fall in line and you have to work for it. No, it's seek God first in his kingdom and guess what? God will bring those needs along the way. Everything else will come along the way so that your needs and my needs are met. Are met in every way, shape, and form, and in ways that we can have never imagined. Seeking His kingdom is to be our priority. So a couple questions that go with this point. Do we have our priorities straight in our lives? Are you, am I pursuing God in His kingdom, or am I pursuing my own needs and my own desires and my own wants? Is God necessary to us, or is He an afterthought? And when I look at verse 33, seek first his kingdom, I have to say to myself, I need to work on prioritizing that. Because God has promised, and I know that he will meet my needs, that everything else will come in line with that. We need to live in such a way that we seek him. Lastly, last truth I want us to consider tonight is that we prioritize today, not tomorrow. Prioritize today, not tomorrow. Jesus adds this at the end of his statement. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. If he hasn't repeated it enough already, he emphasizes it again. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be worried about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is, is saying here, that if you have the kingdom prioritized, if you're putting kingdom living in front of you, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. What is to concern you? If anything is to concern you externally, it is today and not tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own problems. That's why he says, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There's enough trouble tomorrow. And it's as if Jesus is saying to his audience, perhaps many hundreds, many thousands of people listening to him. You, you don't have to worry about tomorrow, because guess what? Tomorrow's got its own problems. And If you might be someone who's listening to him say that, you're like, oh, thanks, Jesus, I had enough going on in my mind today, and I've got more trouble tomorrow. That's, that's, that's helpful. But maybe being realistic, right? That there's more issues that come tomorrow. And today has its own trouble. The trouble for today is not for tomorrow, it is for today. Some, some have, uh, have made the point that we, we uh, unnecessarily borrow trouble. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Leave, leave tomorrow there. You be concerned with today. You live for the kingdom today. You work through the details of, your, of, of the trouble today. You don't worry about other things that are in the future. Because today, it has its own troubles and cannot bear those to tomorrow. When you and I start worrying about stuff that's one, two, three days down the road, a week down the road, we're literally heaping upon ourselves trouble upon trouble. And that ends up being destructive. That leads to fear, that leads to worry. And Jesus says, you know what? 
brothers and sisters, as he's speaking to the crowds of people, if there's anything you need to be concerned about it today, what are you doing today? How are you taking care of their trouble today? Not tomorrow, not in the future, not two years from now. Taking care of today. So my question in regards to this point, are you, are you taking care of today? Are you willingly letting that go so that you can focus on today and letting go of tomorrow? And as hard as that is, as, as much of as a future planner as I am, as you may be, it is a challenge for us to say, okay, God, I've got today, and that's all I need. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And taking that attitude helps us prioritize it so we don't add trouble upon trouble and therefore turn to anxiety rather than trust. We live in a troubled time. We live in an unprecedented time. I dare say about six months ago, none of us would have predicted us being in this spot. But yet here is an opportunity for you and I to confidently trust God in these times. How do we do that? i got five truths that we talked about. There's no need to worry. God provides. He meets your needs. God knows. God intimately knows your needs. Seek Him. Put Him first. Prioritize kingdom. And prioritize today, not tomorrow. And as we consistently put these into practice, this requires work, this requires effort. Having this attitude of confidently trusting God will help us. Not only in this moment, when things are uncertain, but in times ahead, where only God knows where He's taking us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. May we rest in this reality today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening to me. May we all seek to trust in You consistently every day until we see Your face. In Christ's name we pray, Amen.